Welcome to Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris, where we talk about relevant issues as it relates to individuals in grief as they navigate finances and the advisors who help them. We help clients in grief navigate financial matters. We also teach advisors how to emotionally and financially work with clients in grief through an unparalleled process. This week's podcast is sponsored by Life After Grief Financial Planning and Life After Grief Consulting. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Life After Grief, Chris. I have an interesting story to tell you about something that happened in my life. And uh, I'm going to go back uh, to 1993. And this is going to resonate with uh, some of my friends and probably some of you. And the overall meaning of this podcast is, you know, raising children and the unexpected cost that sometimes arise. So the story in 1993, I contracted an illness called meningitis. Some people know that and some people don't. And it was actually viral meningitis. After I recovered, obviously, I'm still here. I was told that it was viral, meaning that it would always be in my system. So going back to 1993, I was a basketball player in high school and I went to practice very early one morning and it was a Tuesday morning. As a matter of fact, I had to get up probably around five o'clock and I had to be at practice a little bit before 6 a.m. So we went through practice and it wasn't uncommon that I felt a little sluggish. You know, you didn't have enough energy in your body to go through an, you know, an intensive hour worth of training. So after practice, I felt, you know, very sluggish, took a shower and then I went to class and I just wasn't feeling myself the rest of the day. I was really dragging. And by the end of the day, I was so sick. I was literally slumped over in my chair and I couldn't even drive home. At that time, I was able to drive and I had to have one of my best friends drive me home. And in retrospect, that was a horrible experience because I had a stick shift and my friend didn't know how to drive a stick shift. And so in my sickened state, I had to tell my friend how to engage the clutch. And then also I had to shift. I also had a buddy in the back and who was riding home with us. We dropped my buddy off and then we headed over to my friend's house. And I could really only lay in his parents' bed. That was how sick I was. And my friend called my mother and uh, put me on the phone and I told her I was too sick to drive home. And in very specific Carmendale style, she said, boy, stop playing and get your bleep home. And so my friend Sean got on the phone and said, uh, Mrs. Dale, Chris is really sick. So she knew it was time to come and get me. And uh, my mom picked me up and she took me to one of those mini ER clinics and they passed it off as me having the flu and gave me some medication. And some of the symptoms that I had, you know, at that time, I had severe headaches. That was one of the byproducts um, of the illness. And I had severe back pain. And the meds seemed to give me short-term relief, but the symptoms quickly reappeared. And also in retrospect, it was great that my mother took me to the clinic and got me medicine early on. And I'll kind of go into detail as to why that uh, is the case. 
And at this point, I was uh, sleeping in my parents' bed, and my dad had to literally hold me up and walk me to the bathroom and hold me up as I was going to the bathroom. And my parents realized the situation was very, very severe. So they took me to the children's hospital, and at the hospital, they performed a spinal tap. And if you have never experienced a a spinal tap, let me explain it. And uh, probably 95% of the population has never experienced a spinal tap. They have a needle, and the needle is, I don't know, anywhere from six to eight inches long, uh, probably longer than that. Uh, It's pretty thick, and... They have you bend over in the fetal position and they stick this needle in between your spinal cord. And the goal of this is to pull out spinal fluid to see if it's cloudy or not. And mine was very cloudy. And I'm going to say it was very, very cloudy. Spinal taps are very, very uncomfortable. And I was so sick, I did not even feel the needle go into my back. And there can be complications uh, if the doctor doesn't uh, put the needle in the right place. So they did a good job, uh, the hospital. You know, they admitted me into the ICU. They realized almost immediately that it was meningitis. I began manifesting more symptoms of the illness, which were hearing loss. My eyes crossed. Literally, if you're looking at your nose with both of your eyes, that's what my eyes were like for an extended period of time and extreme pain. And in the seven days that I was in the hospital, I lost 20 pounds. The first uh, few nights I was in the ICU, uh, I could only eat ice chips. And that was because another one of the symptoms of meningitis is that your brain swells. And if it swells too much, you could have long-term effects. I got out of ICU within a couple of days, which was a blessing. My grandmother in her infinite wisdom, she called that the fact that I had meningitis uh, early on. And uh, she's like, I didn't need, you didn't need to go to the hospital for that. I could have told you that. She experienced a lot. That was my paternal grandmother, Dorothy. And then when I was transferred to a normal room, uh, I began to improve pretty dramatically. They likened it, or they said, the doctor said that I was recovering at an accelerated rate because I was an athlete. I had a low heart rate and I was in very, very good shape. And I was young. I I think that probably helped as much as anything. And to compound the situation, you know, all this stuff that is going on with me, my parents are worried, sick. My brother was getting married in Kansas City, Missouri. I was here in Orlando, Florida. And my mother and father had to make the gut-riching decision about who would go to my brother's wedding and who would stay behind with me. My mother ultimately went and she was crushed. She was torn, obviously, because she had a very, very sick child at home. And uh, my father, you know, was tending to me. Over the next week, I learned a whole lot about meningitis. I learned first and foremost that it was deadly. And consequently, there was a publicized child who happened to be an honor roll student. And I was an honor roll student at the time. And they died the same time in a neighboring city that I was in the hospital. So this child was in the hospital at the same time, contracted meningitis about the same time I did, and they died. And I was out of my hospital room at the time. I think I was probably playing video games or something down the hall. And my phone began to light up. I mean, there were no cell phones, really no cell phones back then. And people just started calling my room incessantly. 
and I was probably gone for about 30 minutes. And then I got back and it was still ringing and, you know, people were panicking. And so one of my friends said that there was somebody that died and they thought it was me. And my friends were pretty matter of fact back then and said, no, it wasn't me. And then, you know, a whole slew of information. And, you know, my folks had to, you know, kind of disseminate that I'm okay and I am on the road to recovery. That was interesting. I also learned that when the hospital gives you narcotics or any painkillers, they regulate them in the form of a liquid and dosage and they limit the amount and you can only get it uh, every so many hours. Had no idea. I was in so much pain. I was pushing the heck out of that button and I didn't have a clue that they have a governor on that. I mean, I was pushing Every time I felt any sense of pain, I pushed that button and then one of the nurses came in and said, just want to let you know that every time you push the button, it doesn't uh, give you pain medicine. You can only get it every four hours or every six hours or whatever it was. And I also learned about the power of exercise. Like I said before, the doctors told me that I was progressing so fast because I was an athlete and I had had a low heart rate. Uh, that has motivated me throughout my life. And I was very fortunate that I had no lasting effects of the illness and except for the fact that I was extremely tired for the next six months. And just imagine this did a extreme toll on my body and I had to take regular naps to regain my strength daily, probably half hour to hour naps every day. I came home from school and the first thing that I you know, did was I took a nap. As a sidebar, this is kind of where my buddies kind of jab at me. All of those that were immediately around me had to take a preventative medicine that made their pee orange. And I never heard the end of that one. My buddies still joke about it uh, to this day and jokingly because I survived. I want to bring this, you know, back kind of full circle. So I talked about a lot of the stuff that happens with meningitis and, you know, it's deadly. Now I've also come to find out that you can take a um, vaccine uh, for meningitis. That was nothing of the sort back then. You know, you're talking about 1993 again. I survived, you know, this uh, really, really horrific illness. And I was lucky not to have any lasting effects. Very, very fortunate. The financial impact, again, my parents, they bought three plane tickets to go to my brother's wedding. I don't know, back then, maybe a thousand bucks. And they only used one. So they lost money on two of the plane tickets unless they were able to, you know, work out some sort of a deal with the airlines. But the airlines uh, weren't necessarily understanding uh, from what I gathered from my parents. And so my parents were on the hook for, you know, thousands of dollars as my hospital stay extended for about seven days. They had very, very good insurance because uh, my mother was a teacher and that provided, you know, a very good level of insurance. But my parents had a lot of out-of-pocket expense. I mean, I was in the hospital. I had to take an ambulance ride literally when I got to the hospital um, over to the kids' hospital. And I remember them telling me that the cost of that was somewhere between $500 to $1,000 just for that ride. I took a block. It, it was a block ride, literally. Um, and, you know, they were telling me about this expense and it, you know, it, it really impacted me because I was always financially minded. And 
the point of me kind of bringing up the part about finances is that everyone should have emergency funds set aside. Something like this, it came out of nowhere, could have really destroyed my parents financially. My mother, I'll top my mother, she was always financially astute. And they had emergency funds set aside. Had no idea that they would have to use them for something like this. And then to extend this, you know, a little bit further, I had to have some other medical things and they were in the form of allergy shots. I had uh, allergies, you know, as a kid growing up, but the doctor ultimately said that this was a breakdown because uh, I got, my allergies were bothering so much and I probably caught it in my ear. Someone without bad allergies may have had that point where their body would have just kind of rejected it, but my body did not. And, um, I got meningitis and they said, I probably caught it in the gym somehow. Um, have no idea. Uh, but I caught it, I uh, got very sick, and then I survived. Again, this process was very expensive, and it was unplanned. And this is something that can happen in real life and to anyone at any point. And so my parents were prepared, and I really thanked them. And they, you know, taught me a lot. And, you know, some of the other tidbits that I learned from this, I learned at an early age how important exercise truly is. I also learned how setting money aside in the event of an unplanned emergency happens is extremely valuable in not racking up medical bills and ultimately destroying your family financially. So I hope you like this podcast. And this is something, you know, real life that can happen to anybody at any point, especially parents. Please feel free to pass this podcast on to any friends, family members. And also, don't forget, you can support this podcast so I can continue bringing it to many other people. Cheers, be well. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you are a client and are looking to work directly with Chris and or our firm, head on over to Life After Grief FP. That is Life After Grief FP. The FP is for financial planning. If you are an advisor looking to emotionally and financially work with your client in grief, or if you are a client looking to get your advisor's head in the game, head on over to lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. That is lifeaftergriefconsulting.com. Any related information referenced in this week's podcast will be located here in the podcast section.